Welcome to the Marketplace Movement, where our vision is to reach, enhance, and advance lives. This week, we are on part 6.5 of There's Work to Be Done. We will learn that in order to live the standard, we must learn to protect ourselves. So as always, please grab your notebook and your Bible and join us in the year to live the standard. All right, James chapter 1. We uh, started dealing with... So we started dealing with uh, being led astray. Sean, grab my laptop. Just bring it. We started dealing with being led astray is uh, what we're working with and what it means and what it looks like to be led astray. Today, tonight, I want us to talk about, you can hedge your notes, how do I protect myself from being led astray? That's what I want to deal with. How do I protect myself from being led astray? Now, the answer really comes down to one singular statement. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can get down to my next piece, but but if I, if I only cover this, Thank you. this will, will work for me. So it all comes down to it all comes down to one statement. I have to eliminate the doorway of attack. All right. To protect yourself from being led astray, you have to eliminate the door of attack. Amen. Now, are we in James? Chapter 1, and I'm going to read two verses, and we are then going to dissect those verses heavily. Uh, all right, let's start at verse 13, actually. You there? Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away, y'all see it, and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Y'all see that? Please, we're gonna do we're gonna do verse 14 again. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. Then it goes on and says, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. Sin, when it is accomplished, brings forth what? Death. Brings forth death. So what we have to do, as this technology is wanting really to give me a hard time, what we have to do is we have to make sure that we eliminate the doorway to sin. We want to make sure that we are eliminating the door that the enemy uses to attack us. And before I move to that primary concept, I want to really deal with, because I want to deal with lust, but I need to start dealing with the word that says tempted. And the word tempted is very, very problematic. Because when we look at that, that term tempted, 
we can immediately go and look at what happened with Abraham. Abraham was tempted by God. That's what it said. You know, it says Abraham, God tempted Abraham, right? But, but here's the thing. Many translations will actually look at that story and they will translate that word as tested. So when we look at the term here, let nobody say when he is tempted, he is being tempted by God. I need you to, to, to look at this definition. To tempt in this text means to test one maliciously. Y'all see that? To test one maliciously. Here's the next part that makes it even better. To solicit one to sin. To solicit one to sin. So to test one maliciously. To solicit one to sin. That is a very, very different type of thing than what we normally have. What, what is the scripture saying to us? That in this text, let no one say that you are being maliciously tested by God. Y'all see the difference? Don't say that you are being maliciously tested by God. Don't say that you are being solicited by God to sin. See, at face value, without careful examination of those, those definitions, it does seem like a contradiction. Hold on. He tested or he tempted Abraham, but he never maliciously. You see what I'm saying? What God did to Abraham wasn't malicious. God, listen to this, was not trying to make a sinner out of Abraham. Y'all catch that? God was not trying. And, and we know that James was familiar with the story of Abraham because if you read the whole book, by the time you get to James chapter 2, verse 21, we won't turn there, he actually references the story of Abraham. So you can't say, oh, he didn't know that story. But what he's saying, listen to this, is not a contradiction. Here's the lesson. When God comes into our life, God does not put us into situations with the intention of making us sinners. When God tests us, he tests us to develop godly character and to demonstrate godly character. So when God comes in to test you, he's not trying to make you a sinner. He's trying to develop you and show you who he is. Y'all see that? All right. It is that type of temptation. So the type of temptation that we just talked about, the, the malicious temptation, the solicitation of sin, that type of temptation that we see in that passage comes from a place of evil intention. That evil intention comes from the enemy. That evil intention is what the scripture says lust is. Let's read it again with that understanding. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, so maliciously led to sin, when he is carried away and enticed by his, what's the next word? His own lust. That's going to be important when we look at this definition. So literally, temptation comes when I allow lust to carry me away. I am maliciously put into a position of sin when lust leads me astray. Right? What did we read a few, few messages ago? All we like sheep, right, have been led astray. Now, 
Now, let's be clear. We also have determined this. We are led astray by, by people who do not have God's intention. The scripture in the NASB says unprincipled men. People who do not have God's heart. People who do not have God's intention. So, so if I want to make sure that I'm not led astray, I have to eliminate the doorway of attack. What is the doorway of attack to be led astray? Lust. Lust. Here's, here's where we get in trouble when we start talking about the word lust. We say lust and we immediately think that we are talking about, we can find it to anything that has to do with sexual connotation. That's not what lust should be confined to. When you do so, watch this, the devil is completely fine with the church confining lust to sexual intimacy. He's cool with that. The reason that the devil is fine with that is because then the rest of the legitimate lust in our life will go unchecked. Yes, Remember, yes, all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. So we understand that lust has categories. Are y'all with me here? Yes, all right. So let me give you some definitions of lust as we dig into this verse. Let me give you some definitions. Number one, I'm going to break it down into to, to four parts and then give you some ancillaries. Number one, lust is inordinate affection or desire. Inordinate. That word inordinate for your notes means disorderly or unrestrained. So when I have disorderly or unrestrained desire in my life, that is lust. And you can have disorderly or unrestrained desire over anything. Y'all catch that? If, if you have disorderly or unrestrained desire over a chicken nugget, that's lust. Okay, I'm about to mess with somebody. If you can say, my morning is not going to go well until I get my cup of coffee. That is disorderly or unrestrained. If your mood and well-being is tied to any external substance outside of the will of God, even people you love. Y'all. Number two, lust is, watch this, anxious self-seeking. Anxious self-seeking. Write them down. And I need to be clear with this as I'm going. This is going to get deep. We're going to dig, dig heavily into these verses. But, but let me say this. There are a lot of people I get to talk about like coffee and foods and stuff. And, and I'm trying to make it as, as applicable as possible. And somebody will inevitably say, oh, you know, I don't have a coffee problem. Cool. Give it up for a week. If it changes your mood, you are addicted. I used to have a coworker. Couldn't start her day until she had her diet coat. Period. Point blank. She's not going to no meetings. She ain't having no conversation. She's not turning that computer on. She's not checking no email. She even took her coat off. She just got in. She's going to the break room. She put her name on her diet coat. You bet not drink out of her straight 24 pack a diet coat. She'd go through 24 or more per week. By herself, don't touch her. Don't you touch her. That's her diet coat. She's not playing with that. Amen. Quiet and rude. Anxious self-seeking. And what, what do you mean? When 
to anxious self-seeking, I am driven, listen, by the necessity to obtain. I am driven by the necessity to, to obtain what I believe I must have. I'm driven by it. I'm driven by the necessity to obtain what I think I must have. That is anxious self-seeking. I'm going after this thing. I'm driven by the necessity to obtain what I think I must have. Number three. Mm -hmm. Lust is a desire, listen, fueled by carnal intention. It is a desire fueled by carnal intention. Here's the question you ask yourself with this one. Why do I want what I want? Why do I want what I want? And I reserve this statement till, till number three, but it applies to everything I'm saying. It is possible to desire a good thing for a bad reason. Because I'm watching, and in the room, the Holy Ghost is beginning to show me that some of you, even right now, think that you are hustling for your God-given calling when really you're lusting the result of the calling. I hear that, God. You actually lust what you believe the calling will give you, not the relationship with God required for the calling. Teach us tonight. Many people who think that they are in high pursuit of what God has called them to be are actually only pursuing the result of that calling at its optimal state. Do it again. In other words, what I'm really after is what this calling will give me if the calling is successful. I'm not interested in the relationship necessary to actually bring my calling to its full state of anointing. Don't want that. What I want is I want the fruit of the success connected to the call. I'm actually driving for that. How do you know? Because if you wasn't driving for that, you would be satisfied with the relationship garnered when the calling is not reaching anybody. The sense, of, the sense of depression, the, sen the sense of not being worth it, all of that stuff that the devil puts on you, it wouldn't be possible if you weren't lusting the outcome. Because you would be, as the old song says, satisfied with Jesus in your heart. Amen. Because by, by world standard, Jesus, Jesus is one of the most unsuccessful pastors that we've ever seen. Some are generous with Jesus, and they say that he pastored a church of 120. We don't see that 120 show up very much. I say he pastored a church of 12. He lost one member to suicide, and the other 11 went to hid in the cave, and only one of them carried on the ministry after he was gone. Amen. But for many of us, that's unsuccessful. I really want you to think about that. Because that number three, lust is desire fueled by carnal intention. Why do I want what I want? Number four, lust is developed, watch, from a wrong attitude toward the things we want. There is nothing wrong with liking nice things. There's nothing wrong with the admiration of nice things. Where we fall into error is when I have an improper attitude about those things. When the thing that I want becomes my love. How do I know that? When you start saying stuff like this to yourself, if I only had this, 
be better. If this and this and this was in my life, I would be happy. You're saying that your happiness, that your well-being, literally the development of your character, is based upon you obtaining something that has so much value to you that you're willing to quote unquote hustle to get it. You know what's interesting about the whole the hustle culture in the body of Christ? I don't see it when it pertains to things like prayer and reading your Bible. Make sure that I'm putting this, you know, putting this hustle in to, to pray. I don't hear that. You hustling for your brand, so you get a Christian. Ooh, okay, so you get a Christian who now has a product, right? And and, and and you got everything to sell your product, but I don't see the same type of desire, passion, and push for the relationship that you say the product represents. During the Stoics, the Stoics were a group of philosophers. Y'all okay? Come on now, I'm going, I'm going further. I'm still on bus. The Stoics were a group of philosophers who wrote first century BCE. They would have been around during the time of Paul. You see Paul's interaction with the Stoics in Acts chapter 17. And, and, and the Stoics were interesting because, listen, the Stoics saw lust as one of the four passions. And they saw things like anger as a type of lust. Hatred was lust to the Stoic. What they said is anger is an inordinate affection because anger always has a reason. Are y'all following what I'm saying? For the Stoics, watch this, they said that lust, here's a definition, is a disorder. Maybe if we start teaching it like this. They said lust is a disorder. Watch. Based upon the belief that it is necessary to possess, listen, my future good on the spot. That's what the story saying. It's a disorder. Based upon the belief that it is necessary for me to possess my future good on the spot. I'll give it to you in the Robert Lyons translation. It, it's when I start thinking, I gotta have what I'm not ready for now. That's lust. Yeah. Amen, amen. All right, let me give you the, uh, the Keith Allen translation. Yeah, I, I heard him talking to a young guy one day. He don't even know I heard him say this. He was talking to a young guy one day, and, you know, coach worked for 30-plus years at the county, and one of these young guys was feeling some type of way because they were trying to do what he was doing, and they ain't got there yet. They just starting their job, and, and, and they feeling some type of way about what he can buy 30 years in. And he told him, Young blood, I've been doing this. Right? Don't feel bad because my 30 years has given me the opportunity to do this. You ain't got 30 minutes in yet. You with me? Less is when you have 30 minutes of prayer, but you want 30 years of lesson. You want the future good on the spot. You're not ready for the future good yet. Okay, let's make it even more practical. So you just read the scripture today on what it meant to be a virtual woman. Virtuous woman, rather. You just read it today on virtuous woman. You just read it today. Tonight, you put up a post. I'm walking in virtual and I'm ready for my husband. 
it just came. Mighty man of God, t-shirt, you just got it. And he went and told everybody, I'm ready for my wife. You go, you claim it. The Lord said, no, you don't even know how to hear him good yet. The, the Holy Ghost told me, you my wife. Shh. <laughs> Lust is when I want my future good on the spot. Matter of fact, a few, few weeks ago, maybe months ago, I, I comically said that, that many of us have the Veruca Salt Spirit. That's really lust. Veruca. Y'all don't know Veruca? Veruca saw. She said, I want it now. Uh-huh. That's what we want. That's what we want. Yeah. She said, I want it. Not tomorrow. Now. She walked into the room where the gold geeses, the gold gooses was. And she said, Daddy, I want a gold goose. He says, all right. I'll get you one. He turns. He says, how much for your golden goose? Well, he says, oh, you can't buy it. You can't have one. Name your price. He says, you don't understand. You can't have it. And she looked at him and said, I want to go to this. I want it now. She got to sing in her song. She got to, she wanted it now. And many of us have that spirit. You want, watch, what you're not even supposed to have. Are y'all with me here? Let me take this further. Hear me. Many of us, listen to me. Many of us want things not even associated with our call because those things have a degree of popularity that we really desire. That's why you got a whole lot of folks who weren't called to something that walked into a calling because that calling looked good to them. Are you walking with me today? Now, write this down, please. I'm still talking about lust. When lust is present, faith is suffocating. Write it. When lust is present, faith is suffocating. One more time. When lust is present, faith is suffocating. You cannot have faith and lust at the same time. Explain. Listen. Lust promotes the fallacy that the desired outcome or the thing that I want or the thing that I'm lusting for is completely tied to the quality or quantity of my own effort. See, when I'm lusting after something, I think that if I work harder, if I work harder, if I do more, if I do this, if I do that, I will produce what I want. So faith is no longer in it. You're not, you're not in the lane of let patience have its perfect work. You're not in the lane of though it may seem to tarry, wait for it, it will come to pass. Lust won't let you do that. It won't let you wait for it. Because lust wants it now. So lust will suffocate faith. Watch. So this means that I can lust over something completely outside of what I 
put my time in and I got my effort in and all of a sudden I start believing my own press. Look how hard I work to obtain this very thing that God never told me I was supposed to have. Yes, and then when I'm able to put my hands on it, I actually applaud my own self when God is never pleased. Because that's what lust does. The enemy, watch, will reward you in order to keep you. Don't think that the devil don't have rewards. The scripture says every good gift, not every gift. Or saved or 
of what God is and what God can do. I'll give it to you another way. In other words, lust is impregnated by a mind that has not been transformed. <laughs> Ooh, woo. In other words, be he transformed by what? The renewing. What do we say that word renewing means? To renovate through the renovation of your mind. That's how transformation, that word transform in, in the Greek is the same word used for the transfiguration. So literally, just like Jesus was transfigured, the only way to get my mind to become something that nobody has ever seen before is it has to be renovated. But an unrenovated mind will impregnate lust. What is an unrenovated mind? A mind that doesn't know what God can do. A mind that does not know who God is. How does that get lust pregnant? Because when lust comes into my life and I don't know what God will do, I will believe lust. Right? And now all of a sudden, what I want. See, that's, an un, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mind that ain't been transformed. I want this. Okay, I'm gonna get, let's get more practical. If you got more bills than you got money, and your mind has not been transformed, y'all with me? Anything that looks like it's about to get you out of debt, you can start lusting after. Because my untransformed mind will not allow me to see God's way to get out of this. And so when the enemy comes with a carrot to dangle in front of me that, I, that looks like a solution, I'll start hustling after that carrot, lusting after that. Now, it seems like I'm lusting for something good, but it's really leading me astray. Remember, lust carries you away. We just read that, right? It carries you away. And the reason that I'm carried away by this opportunity is because my mind is not transformed enough to know God's way of doing things. I have not been inducted into kingdom thinking. That way, all the devil got to do is show me something that looks good, and it will carry me away. See, we don't want to look at that like lust, because we keep confining lust to man and woman. But anything that you have an inordinate affection for, give it to you another way. So I'm sitting here, and, and, and it's like, ooh, that looks like a good idea. That look like, now you're ready to throw away your whole call just because something looks good to you. A transformed mind, a transformed mind would know the will of God and would be willing to say no to something that's out of his will. But an untransformed mind can be enticed and now all of a sudden I'm on my way and I will tell myself, look at how hard I'm working. Is this making sense to anybody? I want y'all to think about this for a minute because some of us, even in this room, are going after things that God never told you to go after. Because you're going after that, trying to find a solution to something that you didn't ask God to answer for. That's what happens with untransformed mind. You gotta get his mind. Amen. Remember what the old mothers used to say? I gotta I got get the mind of Christ on that thing. I gotta get the mind of Christ on that thing. She would say it all the time. People, what are we gonna do, mother? You better get the mind of Christ on that thing. What was she saying? I'm not making no decisions with an untransformed mind. You don't want my mind, because if I give you a solution, we're going down a path that might not be the path where the Lord is. Psalm 1611 says, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So please, only put me on the road where he is. Because the devil won't try as hard as he can by himself. So why in the world would I want to be on the road that God is not? Are y'all with me in the room? So, so, so please understand. Please understand. Please understand. It is, we have an unrenewed mind. An 
untransformed mind, lust will get pregnant. And when that lust gets pregnant, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is finished, does what? Brings forth what? For the wages of sin is? But the gift of God is? And you can turn this thing around. But I need it to be clear. Because some of us, as I'm going through this, y'all looking at your life. Which is what we should do. Examine ourselves to see if these things be so. Amen? Because it's easy for us to immediately just dismiss it. Well, no lust in my life. No. No, I mean, is every decision that you're making right now completely fueled by God's will to it? Every decision. Because anything else, that's wrong. And let me tell you, the world is in a very tumultuous place. We can't afford to kind of do it. No, seriously. Seriously. Today, yet another, I think it was today, this morning, yet another mega church pastor fired from his congregation. Just as more. And after firing him, he is still yelling insults at people who don't agree with his thinking. And this is the imagery of the body of Christ that the world gets. And let me tell you, halfway doing it is actually poor evangelism. We're not fulfilling the Great Commission when we're unwilling to actually be righteous. Oh, teach it like that. Huh? If I won't get myself together, I'm actually failing at the one set of instructions that he gave before he died. How can I go here, therefore, when I'm not prepared to go nowhere? Are we in the room? Now, now, so we say, all right, Bishop, I've heard you. Heard what you're saying. You told us, I gotta make sure, let's not get pregnant. So I gotta be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's a whole set of spiritual disciplines. I gotta have my disciplines together. I gotta do my part, do what I'm supposed to do. However, Bishop, um, I've already been carried away. You told us I'm not gonna be carried away, but I am currently carried away. Now, I started this Sunday, but I need to, to, to say, I need to recap a little bit, and then I need to tell you the other piece of this. Look at James chapter 4. Because some of us in this room, I know we don't want to admit it, but some of us right now, we are being held hostage by our own decisions. Amen. Literally, right now. And listen, he whom the Son is set free is free what? That's free for real. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you like good way. Free show enough. <laughs> show enough free. That's country. That's, that's hood country. That's, that's backyard dominoes hood country. <laughs> All right. Why you don't dominoes? Dominoes in the south is like Spain. You can kill them. <laughs> All right. James chapter 4. Verse 6. 
He gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the pride, right? But gives grace to the what? Humble. Skip to verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. The reason I said the passage is like bookends, go back to verse 6. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the what? Humble. Verse 10. Humble yourself. Those are my bookends. In the middle is the solution of how to get humble. Because watch this. He gives grace to the humble. Okay. 10. Humble yourself. I don't even know how to get there. I don't know how to get humble. The solution is in between. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Okay. Now I'm going to break this down into two parts. I talked about this a little bit Sunday. But the first thing it says submit. I gave you three things. To subordinate. To subordinate. What does that mean? I have to recognize who I am in respect to who he is. He is my superior. Talk about God. God is my superior. God is my superior. How many of us grew up with our parents making us say yes or no, sir? Thank you. Right? They were teaching respect, honor, right? They were teaching respect, honor. Unfortunately, what happens is the older we get, some of us then forgot. My father just had a birthday on the 11th. And I still, yes, sir. No, sir. I'm a grown man. Three kids. That's still my father. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. The bishop, why is that important? Well, first of all, honor thy father and mother. That thy. Okay. That's in there, right? Let's go further. If I don't know how to honor father, mother, regardless of the condition of father, mother, because the scripture don't say honor good father and honor good mother. Oh, don't say that. Well, why would God make me do that? Because, watch this, our father and mother give us a practical understanding of how to honor a father. It is impossible for me to honor God who I cannot see when I cannot honor the father or mother who I can. This is put to the test when Jesus comes into his home country and they saw him and they immediately said, that's just Mary's boy, that's so-and-so's brother. And the scripture says, watch this, a prophet is without honor, even in his own home country. Now, we love to use that text when we're trying to tell off our churches for what we consider a lack of honor. That's misappropriation of spiritual funds. Here's the way to use the text. Here's the real point of the text. It's what happened after that. He could do few 
was there. However you treat me doesn't, watch this, if my relationship with God is right, how you handle me don't, don't impact me. It impacts you. Because my ability to walk in the anointing that God has in my life is contingent upon the environment that I'm placed in at the time. Oh, Lord. Jesus was still capable of doing miracles, but unable because of a lack of honor. Watch. I believe that, watch this, the miraculous anointing that God puts into your life when you even honor your natural parents is cut off when you won't honor them. That's why it won't be well with you. Yeah. We in the room? Yes, sir. When we start talking about submitting, I want y'all to think about who has authority in your life that you're not submitted to completely. Your boss. My boss crazy. My boss crazy. See that's, see, that's where we mess up. Because we're not submitting to the person. We're submitting to the authority that the person represents. We have to trust that, watch this, God will take care of the problem of the person. While seeing us honor the office that the person represents. Because if I have shown dishonor to the office that they represent, if God knows the plans he has for me, one of which might be for me to sit in that chair one day, I have already perpetuated a pattern of dishonor to my co-workers for how they're to see the office. So when I sit in the seat, the pattern of dishonor that I perpetuated among my co-workers for how to honor that seat They'll now dishonor me when I'm in the seat. Yeah. And so now you want to be honored when you are actually the one that taught your coworkers how to dishonor the seat. I'm trying to get it taught. Trying to get it out of my mouth. Are we in the room? Because watch this. Dishonor for your natural parents. Oftentimes will put us in a place where when we become parents. So the first thing, hello, light bulb. The first thing that we must do is support them. Recognize who I am in respect to who he is. Then submit to his control and yield to his advice. That's submission. Subordinate, submit to control, yield to advice. Then the scripture says, submit, resist. I told you Sunday, I have to apply equal or greater force. I have to stand against. I have to oppose. I have to oppose. That's how I resist. I put up opposition. I put up a fight. Amen? Here's the issue. Listen, when I submit and resist, the devil flees. Right? Right? That is what scripture says. That means the devil is gone. That doesn't mean God is present. You got to look at the whole thing. Because the next verse says, draw near. Oh. Because to 
submit and resist cleans house. To draw near fills the house. Okay, y'all just more Bible. When the evil spirit has gone out of a man, it finds the house swept and garnished. House is clean. House not full. Comes back, finds the house swept and clean, goes and gets seven others stronger than himself. The last thing of the man is worse than the first. Not because you were never delivered, but because you were never filled. When we teach deliverance without the infilling, we are only getting people 50% there. Because a clean house, watch this, without any furniture, still has no comfort. There's still no peace. Watch this. There's still no production. A new kitchen with no pots, pans, and silverware can't produce. Are y'all with me here? I don't care how beautiful your countertops is. I don't care how banging your stove is. If you ain't got pot, pan, plate, food, you can't produce a meal. Furthermore, if you get delivered without being filled, you cannot have the product of a Holy Ghost filled life. And what we have done, especially in this new intellectual church, is we have removed the teaching of the Holy Ghost from the church because we thought that it was too charismatic and it was too ecstatic for those of us who got degrees and jobs and a couple letters behind our name because we too smart to be doing all that. In the meantime, we get our tails pulled by the devil. I didn't say you didn't have Jesus. But Jesus is a clean house. The Holy Ghost is a filled one. Okay. Are we in the room? Amen. So when I submit and I resist, the devil flees. He goes on, draw near to God. Here we go. Here he comes. And he will draw near to you. Ain't that something? Look at the order. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to me. So, so devil's gone. God is there. Next part, cleanse. Whoa. Maybe that's the reason I'm having trouble getting all the way cleaned up. Because I was trying to clean up without the one who cleans me up. Kick the devil out. Bring the Lord in. Now I can start washing these dishes. Huh? Because if I mess around and try to cleanse my hands and all of that without the one who is actually the cleaning agent. Yeah. How am I trying to get clean with the devil here? Come on now. That's, that's like trying to wash your hands with the devil. <laughs> Amen. That's literally like trying to get the one killing you to heal you. Is this making sense to anybody? So submit, therefore to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee. So he's gone. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Got it? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable. See, I can do all this in his presence. 
Be miserable, mourn, weep. Watch this turn. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Why? Humble yourself. Oh. That, that laughter turned to mourning, joy to gloom is not about feeling sad, it's about feeling lonely. It's about recognizing, I'm not all that, I'm not all that. Let me get low. Let me get low. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. At the right time, he'll exalt you. But oftentimes, people look up, what we have done, what we have done is we're like, I'm going to get this together. Let's do our terms. I'm going to get this together. I'm going to get this together. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And once I get this, everything will be fine. That's us. Whereas what we need to do is say, first of all, first of all, what I need to do is lust has no place in my life. Let me check the devil out. Right? Let me draw near to God. He'll draw near to me. And while he's here, he'll help me get all of this stuff that ain't supposed to be about my life. We'll never get to the draw near to God and he'll draw near to us step if we're not willing to be honest. Though. And remember, lust runs with the pride of life. Remember, all that is in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, Here's another term for the pride of life, arrogance. So most people who have inordinate affection are also arrogant. Why are they arrogant? Because everything that is in their possession, they believe they got with their own effort. You can't tell them nothing. Because <laughs> everything they have, they believe is a product of how hard they worked. Are y'all seeing how this, this whole makes a circle? Mm -hmm. Because now I got this lust in my life. I'm, this lust is coming with arrogance. And the Bible just says, we just read it, God resists the proud. Okay, I'm going to close this thing. What did I just teach y'all about resist? Resist the devil? To stand against? To oppose? To apply equal or greater force?
if you open your mouth, you can get the help you need. But you're so afraid of somebody being judgmental. See, listen, listen, let me, let me, let me help us with that. If you judge me for doing the right thing, God will honor my righteousness and handle your judgment. If I come to you and I say, this is what I need, and you start feeling some type of way about me, that's cool because all of this happened to me is you have now promoted me to he prepares a table. Don't make me I did the right thing. God honors my behavior. He's going to honor my behavior. I just don't want nobody. I'll tell you one thing I'm going to pray. Peter and Judas did the same thing. Peter and Judas both betrayed Jesus. Right? Listen to this. The difference is when Peter betrayed Jesus, he went back to his brother who did not reject him. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he went back to the people who, who gave him the strength to betray him. And in that environment, he did not receive love. He received rejection. And that rejection is what led him to the suicide. This is why some of us in this room got to be careful when you open in your mouth. Oh, I'm going to say it. Now, I have to be a little pastoral now. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be careful because don't forget how messed up you were in your own life. Yeah. When you start coming down on somebody because if they trusted you enough to reveal their brokenness to you, yeah. you need to treat their brokenness yeah. as it is precious. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. And don't take that off somebody under the thumb of your pseudo Christianity yes, because if you really was all high and mighty like you say you are oh come on here yes, then you would love them like Jesus loves them yes, yes. amen and while you come down on them you have to recognize that when we do people like that we are turning them away from God's character yes, yes. and when people come to us in a broken state they are to see the love of God we are the soul of the earth we are the so the reason that I'm preaching so hard to get us to live this standard is because there are broken people in this world that keep coming to churches and getting more broken. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And I want us to be the representation of doing it right, not with arrogance, not with pride. I don't want nobody walking around talking about my church doing this. You can say 
and tears up the legacy. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the way I feel about that thing. Because sometimes, watch this. Watch this. The father will lay his hands on somebody wise who still ain't ready. All right, we'll pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your anointing, your wisdom and instruction. Give me strength, God. And then give us all the strength to live out in your time. You have just listened to part 6.5 of the Marketplace Movement Podcast, There's Work to Be Done series. There's still so much more training to go. Please like us on the Marketplace Movement Instagram page, follow us on Twitter at the Marketplace R-E-A-L, and visit our website, themarketplacemovement.org. We invite you to worship with us at 3300 West 3rd Street in Dayton, Ohio, or catch us on Periscope every Sunday and Wednesday at the Marketplace Media. Remember, we have to eliminate the door of attack. We hope to see you soon at the Marketplace Movement, where we reach, enhance, and advance lives.